Thou that destroyest the temple, buildest it in three days. Save thyself, if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray from this account of your crucifixion, I pray that you give us clarity this morning about about our life, our life in you and your life in us, and how we may have uh, continued pardon for these days so that we may pardon others, real victory, and the joy of our salvation. And uh, so, Lord, I pray that you'd give us truth this morning from this passage in Jesus' name, amen. It was a, a while ago now, several days anyway, when I just was focusing in. You probably had it happen where a certain phrase or a verse or something just gripped you. And maybe for an afternoon or maybe for days, you just, your mind kept going back to that truth. You ever had that happen? Those are precious times, by the way. Those are just, we've got to have more and more of those. And uh, for me, <clears throat> on that day, it was coming from verse 42. He saved others, himself he cannot save. Now think about that for a minute. He saved others, himself he cannot save. Well, so it would seem that way to these who were somehow participants, or at least they were there to observe, to them it was clear that he was powerless at this point, powerless to save. If he couldn't save himself, well, then really how could he save anybody? Oh, how they missed the truth. You notice how they, to them, he just needs to come down. You notice how many times here if you really are who you say you are, you wouldn't be up there. You'd be down here. So be who you are and get down. Deliver yourself. Relieve yourself of the, I mean, who would, who would choose to be crucified? Do you know that people, it is said, uh, that when they faced crucifixion, some of them would just snap and go mad. They had seen them, I'm sure, heard of them. You and I cannot fathom. We, we just don't have a clue. The other day, I think I heard that some guy that was set for the death penalty declared in his, one of his closing appeals there, he just cried out that this was cruel and inhumane treatment and that to be subjected to lethal injection would just be excruciating pain. When we understand that we've developed seemingly the most benign way so that nobody could feel anything, just go to sleep. That was not the cross. That was not the cross. Nobody, 
Nobody, they thought, would choose the cross. If you were even part of what you say you are, you wouldn't be up there. Nobody would choose that. Well, I want to look here um, this morning at the three different groups of people, at least in this text. There's others that are present, but those that are defined in this text, let's take a look at them. We begin in verse 38. Um, Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand, another on the left. And, verse 39, here's another group, they that passed by. Verse 41, another group, likewise also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders. Just for our outline's sake, let's just begin in verse 39 with this group here. They're defined as those that were there, but they passed by. For us, it's those that are without condemnation. We're down here. You're up there. You're condemned. We're not. We have no condemnation. We have no blame. We've done nothing wrong. You ever been there? We're going to be talking this morning about the, just the matter of self-preservation. Do you know that in order to get a pardon, you must first be what? Guilty. Now think about it for a minute. You cannot receive a pardon unless you're guilty. You cannot. Period. If you're going to apply today, which is probably the most popular way uh, that we have of pardons, is presidential pardons. And in order for you to receive a presidential pardon, you have to apply for it. It's quite a process. It takes months, I understand. You actually have to fill out paperwork and send it to the State Department for review. And I'm sure they receive many more thousands of applications for a presidential pardon than we ever hear about, and frankly, way more than ever receive a pardon. And in all of that paperwork, they have to articulate what they did and admit their guilt. Think of how foolish it would be to ask the president for a pardon and to say, I didn't really do this, but would you pardon me? Are you understanding this? Are you with me? You're going to, you're going to write down what you did. Yeah, I, I, I got my gun out, and I went to the bank, and I planned it out, I mapped it out. I mean, you've got to write. To get a president, you've got to write, 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 write. I embezzled this. I did all of that. And you're writing about your guilt in order to receive a pardon. You must be guilty. But here we have people who are not guilty. And they that passed by reviled him. I want you to notice they're passing by. Like, we don't even have time for this. We didn't come here for this. They've got just enough time to revile him. And what do they say here in 
Verse 40, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. Thou that destroyest the temple. You know, in every case, they're going to reference things he said. In every, each case. Well, he said this. Did he say that? Did he say, did he say destroy this temple and in three days I will build it? Yeah. Let me ask you something. Is the temple being destroyed? Oh, yes. Boy, they missed that truth. The temple is genuinely being destroyed. And he will build it again. They're going to miss that too. So the, group, the first group here is those without condemnation. They have no time for what's going on here. And they've got a lot of other things going on. So many that they don't have time to stay. They're passing by. One of the, uh, each of our presidents has had opportunity to, um, to pardon, beginning with George Washington, who uh, pardoned a couple of men who had led the Whiskey Rebellion in his, uh, in his administration. I think uh, George Washington pardoned, if I remember correctly, 16 men. But that's far eclipsed by FDR, who pardoned almost 3,000. Oh, yes. And the rest, you know, it's somewhere in the middle. So many pardons. It is said to be one of the most powerful powers of the United States presidency. The most significant roles that he has. Why? Because there's no checks and balances to that authority. It really cannot, uh, it doesn't require any kind of legislative confirmation. Good thing. It doesn't require judicial review. The president may pardon whomsoever he will. Practically anybody. The Constitution says Really, the only people that he can't pardon are those that have been impeached and indicted by the, by the Congress. So really, 350 million people, he can pardon anybody at any time for any reason. His decision. It's quite a power. It's quite a power. Last June, this is going to surprise you, but our president made shockwaves with a tweet. I know that's uh, hard to believe. Last June, Mr. Trump tweeted out, in the midst of investigations about himself and different this and different that, you know, and, and threats of impeachment. Uh, he said, you know, threats of investigations and whatnot. He said, I understand the Constitution says, he tweeted this out, that I can uh, pardon myself. That was very interesting. That woke up the news uh, outlets. Uh, <laughs> they had something to write about for a little while, and they all did. I mean, USA Today, MSNBC, New York Times, they all wrote about the constitutional crisis that would be created if Donald Trump attempted to pardon himself. <laughs> it is funny. It is funny. We don't know for sure whether he could, because I mean, he could pardon himself before he was impeached, see? So then they couldn't impeach him. 
The Constitution, if you understand, we have the briefest Constitution in the world. The briefest. I think it's roughly the size of Hebrews, if I remember correctly. The United States Constitution. The oldest and shortest. So there's a lot left open for interpretation, and it's not indicated whether a president could or could not pardon himself. Do you know in verse 42 it says he saved others himself he cannot save. The word save there in the Greek literally means to make safe. To deliver. Jesus who could make others safe. They said he could not make himself safe. That was the perspective they had at least by observing him there in excruciating pain that would last for six hours. Lincoln had a unique role in the presidency. Like his entire presidency, short of just a few days of it, was entirely wrapped in war. So as president and commander of chief, he was sought daily for pardons. More than many other presidents, and certainly under those circumstances. One story says this, I'm quoting from a book, Reminences of Abraham Lincoln by Alan Rice. One story reads this way, a congressman went up to the White House one morning on business and saw in the ante room, always crowded with people in those days, an old man crouched all alone in a corner, crying as if his heart would break. At such a sight, was by no means uncommon in the White House. The congressman passed into the president's room, transacted his business, and went away. The next morning, the same congressman was obliged again to go to the White House, and he saw the same old man crying in the same corner as the day before. He stopped and said to him, what's the matter with you, old man? The old man told him the story of his son, that he was a soldier in the army of the James, General Butler's army that he had been convicted by court-martial of an outrageous crime and sentenced to be shot next week. And that his congressman was so convinced of the convicted man's guilt that he would not intervene. Well, said Congressman Alley, I will take you into the executive chamber after I have finished my business, and you can tell Mr. Lincoln all about it. On being introduced into Mr. Lincoln's president, he was accosted with well, my dear old friend, what can I do for you today? The old man then repeated to Mr. Lincoln what he had already told the congressman in the anteroom. A cloud of sorrow came over the president's face as he replied, I am sorry to say, I can do nothing for you. Listen to this telegram received from General Butler yesterday. President Lincoln, I pray you not to interfere with the court-martials of the army. You will destroy all discipline among our soldiers. Signed, General Butler. Every word of this dispatch seemed like a death knell of despair to the old man's newly awakened hopes. Mr. Lincoln watched his grief for a moment and then exclaimed, By Jingo, Butler or no Butler, here goes. 
Writing a few words and handing them to the old man, the confidence created by Mr. Lincoln's words broke down when he read, when he read quote, Job Smith is not to be shot until further orders from me, Abraham Lincoln. Well, the old man says, why? I thought it was to be a pardon, but you say not to be shot till further orders. And you may order him to be shot next week. Mr. Lincoln smiled at the old man's fears and replied, well, my old friend, I see you are not very well acquainted with me. If your son never looks on death till further orders come from me to shoot him, he will live to be a great deal older than Methuselah. <laughs> it is said that Abraham Lincoln received more than 1,600 such requests for pardon in the four years of his presidency. Every day of his presidency, it is said that there were lines out the door. While he's attempting to conduct the business of the nation and, and a war as well, he's having to deal with broken hearts of mothers and fathers, wives, friends, who sought him, the one, the only one, who had that authority to pardon the guilty. And he did in many, many cases. In fact, the narrative goes on. President Lincoln sought a rationale to spare the lives of ordinary soldiers caught in difficult circumstances that led to death sentences for desertion or sleeping on sentry duty. He would say at one point, quote, if a man had more than one life, I think a little hanging would not hurt this one. But after he is once dead, we cannot bring him back, no matter how sorry we may be, so the boy shall be pardoned. And he would say that time and again. He told an army chaplain, as the sound of rifles rang out across the Potomac River, this is the day when they shoot deserters. I, wonder, I am wondering whether I have used the pardoning power as much as I ought. He wanted to save lives. Abraham Lincoln. The pardoning power is a significant power. It is one that you and I need. Is that not true? We needed it once, of course, for sin forever. But we also at times need it regularly. And we'll have it if we become guilty. But as these now who pass by, not recognizing their own need in what is happening here at the cross, he's the needy one. He's the one who deserves. I, I'm not guilty. I'm in no need of a pardon. I'll just pass by. What a glorious opportunity to be at the foot of the cross. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence. Thomas Chisholm would write those words. Great is thy faithfulness. The second group here 
is found in verse 41, the second group we'll look at. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with scribes and elders. You understand that what we have here is an eclectic group. It's a, it's a broad group here. These are religious leaders mingled with political leaders, the elders. And they declare this. Notice how the, the verbiage changes, though. In verse 40, those who were passing by spoke directly to Christ, thou that destroyest the temple. Notice verse 42. Now, these leaders who are not passing by, frankly, they're here for the duration. There is nothing else going on in their life more important than this. We're not going anywhere. We're going to see this thing through to the end. And here now, they, not, they don't speak to him. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. They're preaching this to the people. These are not those then who are without condemnation. These are those who condemn others. They're condemning Christ, yes. But also in their error, they condemn many more than that. They're leading others astray because they don't see how they themselves are condemned by their own sin. So they bring condemnation on others as they, as they preach their form of truth. Verse 42, he saved others. He made others safe. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. You believe that? How many opportunities have they already had to believe? What have they needed to see? Time and again, they would come to him and say, if you could just answer this question, we'd be, we'd be all about it. Should we pay taxes? Is divorce okay? If you just answer that. Another time, they just came and said, we would see a sign. And we would believe. If you would come down off that cross, we would believe. Let me tell you something. If he comes down off that cross, there would be nothing to believe. You understand that? They are totally like, they totally have this backwards. You know why? Because they don't have any condemnation. You do. Okay. You know what is interesting, and we find it here in Matthew 26, the very last thing that they did see that they could have believed. Are you ready for this? Go back to chapter 26. You probably have to turn a couple of pages. Matthew 26, this has, I have heard this preached. This is really uh, very interesting. The last thing that they saw that they could have believed. And it's right here in Matthew 26 and verse 51. It takes place in the Garden of Gethsemane. Those leaders, of course, weren't there, but they sent quite a little army there to get Jesus and arrest him. In verse 51, and behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Now, you know that you know about that. It's just kind of a, I don't know, parenthetic thing happens right there. Like, why is that there? I mean, I'm sure there are other things that happen, but why is that there? You know that every one of the Gospels records that? Every one of them. That seems pretty significant. If all of the Gospels included that story, 
Of course, not until John came along did we find out exactly who's, what disciple did that. <laughs> That's interesting. Of course, by that time, Peter was gone, so he wouldn't know. Matthew just felt like, I'm not, I'm not going to tell him. I don't need to tell anybody. John says, well, I'm going to tell him. <laughs> I've been asked enough, you know, people coming up to John, hey, you were there. Who did that? I mean, who was foolish enough to pull his sword out in front of this army? Did that really happen? That happened. Really? I mean, what did it look like? Well, John not only gave us his name, he gave us the name of the servant. I'll tell, you, I'll, I'll tell you for sure, you know. The guy's name was? Malchus. We wouldn't know that if John hadn't written in his old age what had happened. He was there. Yeah, he said, Peter took out his sword, and he's a fisherman with a sword in his hand. That's scary. <laughs> yeah, well, his aim was pretty scary, too. I don't think he was aiming for the ear. If he, if, if he was, he should go back to fishing. But really, uh, his aim was probably as bad as it seems, so he should go back to fishing anyway. And so he takes off an ear. I want you to think about that for just a minute. The whole ear. I mean, that's what it's the ear. The ear came off. It's gone. Okay. So, so who was it? Well, Peter did it. To, to whom? Who was Malchus? Servant, all of the accounts say he was the servant of the high priest. He's not, some, he's not the water boy. He's not the ball boy. I mean, he's a, you know, he was sent out representing the high priest. Here's the deal. He's probably got some leadership involvement here. You know, he was near enough to Peter in the event, not at the back of the mob or on the flanks here. He's front dead center. Peter picks him out as some kind of leader. I'll deal with him and takes his ear off. Now the ear's on the ground. And uh, what, what is the guy going to do next? What's he do? You tell me. What's he do? What would you do? Would you say, ouch? <laughs> OK, so he's, he's what? He's doing this, right? You're just going to do it. And you're right. He's screaming like this. He can't believe what just happened. Now, what does he have? What does he have here? A little bit? Now, from the accounts, it seems as though Jesus, you know, we say, well, he stooped down to pick up the air. It doesn't really say that. It says he touched it and, you know, made it whole. Could he like, create a new ear? Yeah, he could do that. I don't know why, exactly how it happened, but he definitely healed him. But it seems as though he actually spoke first. There were a lot of words there. I don't know how much was said before the healing and how much afterwards. I'm sure this guy is just bent over in pain. Can't believe this. Everybody else is reaching for their swords, right? This is Peter. That was really a bad move. Okay. And uh, so, you know, it's like pulling your gun in front of a whole armed armada of police officers. You just, that's a death sentence. And that's what Peter just did. Except for Christ's intervention, Peter would have died on the spot. They all would have. But my point is this. You've got a man here who, for whatever period of time, is bleeding. A lot or a little? Okay. He's got blood. If he does this, where's the blood? Is it here? Okay. For whatever period of time, even if it's just, I don't know, 30 seconds. 
is, what's this look like? Okay. You've got the rest of it. Now, you know, we've got uh, the arrest, and uh, there's no more incident there that we understand. The rest of the disciples just flee. They're gone. They take Christ alone. They cross the Kidron Valley. They go up to Caiaphas' house there, and they present Christ to the high priest, who's been waiting, right? Like, he didn't go to bed. Let me know how it goes in the morning. I'm tired. Are you kidding me? He's been waiting for this for years. He's sitting up waiting. And now, here's Christ, right in front of him. Right? And what else does he see? Malchus, how'd it go? Malchus? Malchus! What happened to you? Now, let me ask you, is Malchus still in pain? I just, I don't know, what are you talking about? Look at you! What? Oh, oh, yeah, this. This? You're talking about this? Oh, the, oh, yeah, well, I'll go get cleaned up. Well, wait! What happened to you? You know, you're looking around, uh, you know, how many others are lost or whatever? No, this is it. That, that's it. Where'd the blood come from? Ah, oh, my ear. Can you see the high priest now looking him over? Think about it. Jesus is here. Melchus is here. And he's all here. And yet there's blood everywhere. Right? I mean, there's enough blood that you'd say something major happened, and yet nothing happened. What do you mean your ear got cut off? Yeah, well, he put it back on. <laughs> now, I don't know how the conversation went, but I, I just can't believe that a conversation didn't happen. I just can't believe it. I do believe that was the last message that Jesus would preach to the high priest. And he didn't have to say a word. That is a pretty strong message. If thou be the Son of God, come down and will believe? Really? Student, what more would you have to see to know who Christ is and what he can do for you? What more would he have to do than what he's already done for you? Than what he's shown you? What more would he have to do? In our testimonies the other day, we heard, you know, about unbelief, and I recognize that. I, I understand that. Shame on us, really. Can we just say that for a minute? Shame on us. Any moments of discouragement, of defeat, of impatience, of irritation, are evidences of unbelief. Do you understand that concept yet? If you really believe that God was going to do what he says, I'm going to work everything together for good to them that love me. I will do that. You call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and marvelous things. Okay, where's the defeat there? Where is it? Where's the opportunity for discouragement? Oh, no. Except by unbelief. What more would we have to know? There shouldn't be any more 
when we meet those trials, which we do meet, for sure, we ought to meet it with belief. My God is bigger than this. My God is going to use this. He's going to show me something. The second group here are those that would say they, they're going to believe, and they do not. They, they're not going to. They've proven that. Verse 43, he trusted in God. Surely he did, but they don't believe that. They're reviling him. They're mocking him. This is cynical, sarcastic. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. And they missed the point. <coughs> Finally, the thieves. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. They joined in to all of this mockery. This is a group, uh, first, those without condemnation passing by, those who condemn others, these leaders, and now those in the same condemnation. They are guilty. That's pretty obvious. But it's not enough just to be there. They've got to respond right to Christ. The thieves also which were crucified with him. Crucified with him. Isaiah 53, 12 says, and he was numbered with, with the transgressors. You know, he's not with those that are passing by and he's not with those rulers, but he's with these two guys. And I'm telling you, these guys are bad. This word thief here doesn't really do it entirely justice here. The Romans did not crucify for petty crime. You did. You took what from Walmart? Are you kidding me? <laughs> the cross. No. These, these men are bad criminals. This is the ultimate death sentence. And Jesus, it was foretold and is now taking place, is identifying with them. And he is joining them. He is numbered with the transgressors. You know what Galatians says? I am crucified with Christ. You know there's times that we just be, need to be numbered with the transgressors. Guilty. Guilty. I did that. I said it. I'm guilty. You just need to get up on a cross. I am crucified with Christ. You can't get a pardon without being guilty. But praise the Lord in Luke 23, if you turn there with me, it appears that sometime later during that crucifixion, something changed in the heart of one of these men. They, these who had reviled the Lord initially. Verse, chapter 23, verse 39, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Again, if Christ saves himself, he can't save them. Verse 40, But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same 
condemnation. These are those that are condemned with Christ. Crucified with Christ. Notice verse 41. And we indeed justly, there it is, guilty. For we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And then he says something that is stunning. It just is just stunning. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Does this man think Jesus is going to die? You know, he's no longer asking him like he used to be involved with. You need to get down off the cross. If you really are who you say you are, just get down. He's not asking him to get down anymore, is he? Do you get that? He believes Jesus does need to die. He understands why. You know, this man has come to faith. Do you understand that? He's come to faith. Did you know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God? I would take from that that at some point in this man's life, he has heard Jesus preaching. I can't be dogmatic about when or how or why or whatever, but I'm just saying, and I'm sure there are many in Israel that had heard of Jesus and the truth and the gospel. This man has heard it, and right now, it's making sense to him. He decides to change his views, become guilty, and accept Christ's innocence. But he says, remember me when thou comest. Question, does this man believe in the resurrection? And the answer is, wouldn't he kind of have to? You come to History Civ and I show you pictures of the tombs. There, there's Buddhas, you know, there's Muhammad's. We just looked at that this morning, right? Right? He's in there. He's in there, right? He's not coming anywhere. He's not going anywhere. He's there. This man believes not only that he's God, that he's dying for me, he believes he will be resurrected. When thou comest. That's amazing. You know, there's some nice people down here watching this who are for Jesus. Frankly, in three days, a group of them, ladies, are going to come in the morning. Do they believe in the resurrection? Or did they come with spices to anoint a dead body? It's incredible, this man's faith. Hanging on the cross, he's one of the very few that believe in a resurrection. And boy, does he receive pardon. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And he receives pardon like this. Isn't that good? Because he didn't have a lot of time. You understand? Time is of the essence. You know, we've got a backlog. There's a lot of people asking right now. I don't know. You know, to be honest, this is how I would see it. Jesus is hanging there in incredible pain. Now, what kind of frame of mind are you in when you are just in incredible pain? Okay, we don't have to answer that right now. But we might need more pardon, you and me. You just admitted it. Okay. Jesus is in unbelievable, excruciating pain. 
And this guy who's been over here reviling him for the first several hours, now all of a sudden wants to be delivered. Oh, nice. How convenient. I'll think about it. No. Do you know what Jesus' pardon is? I couldn't wait for you to ask me. You just had to ask. I've been waiting for eternity for this moment. For you to just get guilty and ask. Of course I'll forgive you. Of course. Today. Can you imagine that? That is pardon. He saved others himself he could not save. Himself he would not save. So that you and I could have pardon. Do we need that kind of pardon that that thief found that day? Maybe today. There's something that you need pardon for. Do you know that Jesus is waiting? He's so ready to pardon. You know, reading from another book on Lincoln, it says such incidences were not quickly forgotten, except by Mr. Lincoln, who very much disliked to meet people, women especially, for whom he had done a favor like saving a life. Sergeant Smith Stimmel was one of the soldiers who had served on President Lincoln's bodyguard detail throughout the war and whom had stood guard outside the Peterson House on April the 14th while Mr. Lincoln lay shot in the bed at the back of the house. He later recalled the next day, one of my comrades, my bunkmate, was riding down the street and he met another cavalryman from another troop, a man he did not know and the fellow was weeping. They stopped and had a passing word about the sad event of the night before and speaking of the president's death, the stranger said to my comrade, it probably means more to me than it does to you. He signed an order that saved me from being shot. The author of this book, Sergeant Smith Stimmel, then goes on to write, when we recount how he saved many from being shot, I often think how the words that were applied to our Savior as he hung upon the cross might be applied to Lincoln, though in a different sense. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. We need to get pardons so that we can give pardons. That's just a fact. The thing I really want to take away from this, though, is this. Lincoln's pardoning days came to an end. One of the saddest stories in American history is one more man who asked for a pardon. Robert E. Lee, just months after Lincoln was shot, did the prescribed procedure to receive a pardon for his activity, his part in the Civil War. He sat down at his desk and he wrote out of his part in the Confederacy, admitting it all, writing out his oath then of allegiance 
to the United States of America and asking from the State Department for the pardon that was being offered to the leaders of the Confederacy. He wrote that in October of 1865, months after Lincoln was shot. He dropped it in the mail and he sent it and he waited, he waited to hear. In 1870, five years later, Robert E. Lee passed away, never having received his pardon, never hearing a word. 100 years later in 1970, an archivist was going through the National Archives in Washington, D.C. and discovered his application to receive pardon. It had never been processed in 100 years. In 1975, President Gerald Ford, in a ceremony at the White House, finally granted the pardon 110 years late. It was, of course, no use to Robert E. Lee at that point. But don't you know that our Savior lives? He ever liveth to make intercession. He is there waiting to pardon daily. He's alive. We need to access him. Let's bow.